You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken from Mark 10, 35 to 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one on, at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, for it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joyce. Uh, that's my wife. And also, I uh, have uh, one of our girls serving us as the projectionist this morning. Uh, it's a family production, in a way. <laughs> uh, the Lord bless you, church. All right. And uh, so today uh, is our final sermon on the series on uh, flourishing. Uh, You have seen over the last five weeks how each and every one of us can play a role uh, as instruments of God to flourish our nations, the cities, uh, families, communities, uh, and our church. Your life matters, people. And uh, some of you are gifted leaders. Uh, Some of you are visionaries, strategists, administrators, mobilizers, teachers, and others are... uh, 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 work with your hands, you are, you are good with handicrafts, uh, board games, uh, gardening, cooking, or just driving people around. You see people, no matter how big or small your contributions might be, um, every Christian can make a positive, positive difference in this world. And so, um, so today we're going to ask the question, what is the foundational heart attitude that can turn us into lifelong agents of flourishing? What is that attitude that will sustain us throughout our whole life to be agents of flourishing? So as we look at today's uh, scripture, we will see that the answer is simply one word, and that word is servanthood. Being a servant is how we can make this world better, every one of us. So today, we're going to look at three keys about serving. 
Okay, the wrong way to serve, the right way to serve, and finally, the power to serve. Okay, the wrong way, the right way, and the power to serve. So let's begin with the first uh, key, the wrong way to serve. The concept of servant leadership actually has become very popular over the years in, uh, in the secular world as well. And there are many books written, uh, and it's, it's taught in uh, business schools. But the idea of uh, an individual as a servant is uh, largely considered as negative rather than positive. And uh, while the disciples of Jesus served along his, his side, they were actually all consumed with wanting to become great in rank and position. They're serving with Jesus, but they want to be great in rank and position. Uh, so um, they wanted to be seated next to the Jesus on his right hand and his left hand, okay? As if the king, and then they're right by the side, the higher position uh, above all the other disciples. So they have been arguing about this issue uh, back in uh, Mark chapter 9. All right, about who's going to be the greatest. And then they're arguing about that in today's chapter, in chapter 10. Uh, and uh, Luke tells us uh, that um, they continue this argument uh, even right after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And that's in Luke chapter 24. You see, that's consuming their mind, how they can be the greatest. And this blind quest for greatness is sad and almost insulting because James and John approached Jesus right after Jesus told them about his coming death and resurrection. So this is where we see in, uh, in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. You hear that? Whatever we ask of you. How insensitive is that? Jesus is going to die soon. And James and John said nothing about that, but they wanted something from him. The main thing that they want from Jesus is what he can do for them. So people, isn't this how we treat Jesus often as well? We don't care so much about what we can do to please him as our Lord and our Savior. We prefer to approach him as someone who can do whatever we can ask of him. So people, the wrong way to serve Jesus is to focus on what he can do for you rather than how you can serve him. And if that was me, actually, I would have told him off. Say, go away from me. You're stupid. You are so insensitive. But Jesus' response shows remarkable humility, patience, and kindness. And we see this in uh, verse 36 and 37. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? You see that response? What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. James and John made it 
clear at this point that they wanted to share the glory of Jesus to be greater than the other ten disciples. And as we continue in verse 38, Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism in which I am baptized? Of course, the uh, disciples said, Yes, we can. They knew nothing about what Jesus was trying to teach them. And what Jesus is teaching the disciples and to us is that his glory is not about power, it's not about wealth, it's not about honor, not about reaching the high positions. His glory came from suffering and death on the cross. And this is a hard lesson for the disciples, and this is a hard lesson for many Christians as well. That greatness in God's kingdom is not marked by position of power and honor. Greatness in God's kingdom is marked by suffering, self-denial, and carrying the cross. So if you are experiencing suffering, self-denial, and carrying the cross, you are exhibiting the mark of greatness in God's kingdom. So when the other disciples heard it, they were indignant. They were angry. They were furious. But the problem is that they were not angry because James and John were insensitive to Jesus. They have the dishonor the Lord. They were actually angry because they also wanted the same thing. They were angry because James and John had beat them to it and asked the question first and left them behind. So actually all 12 disciples serve Jesus to get something. It's the same for many Christians. It's the same for many of us. We serve Jesus to get his blessing. We worship him for his comfort, but not his suffering and his death. But people, you will never be great this way. You will never experience true flourishing by looking inward for your to satisfy your own flesh. Now finally, Jesus shatters the idea about what it takes to be great in, uh, in, uh, in the next verse. And Jesus called them to himself, all ten disciples, come, come around me, and all twelve of them. He said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. What Jesus is saying is that the problem with all of us is that we easily get drunk over power. When we have power, we use it to dominate people, put them in the right place, coerce them, and push them into whatever we want them to do. You see, our con- the conditions of our heart is revealed when those people who expect to serve us miss the mark. Think about your domestic helper, the waiters and waitresses, the cleaners the, uh, at the hawker center and food courts, uh, the uh, bus drivers, the taxi drivers, the, the teachers, 
whoever that you think are supposed to serve you, when they mess up, what do you do? When they mess up, do you show them patience and kindness? Do you try to help them to do their job better? Or do you retaliate by giving them a bad report? Or you threaten to get them fired? Or maybe you actually try to do that. So people, let's avoid the wrong way to serve and learn to serve the right way. As we continue, Jesus teaches the disciples the right way to serve him. And if you want to be great like James and John, this teaching will be disturbing. I'm sure this is not what James and John were expecting to hear. This is what Jesus taught them. But it shall not be so among you. He's referring about lording over the people. This it shall not be among, uh, so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. Jesus is saying greatness is not achieved by your power to dominate to others into submission. Instead, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. You must be a slave. You must lower yourself rather than elevate yourself. See, greatness is not achieved by ruling with great power, but by serving with great humility. So your nation, your city, your community, your church, your family flourishes the most, not when you rule as a king or as a queen, but when you love as a servant and as a slave. Now, some of us are not sure how much we can make a difference in this world. When we hear stories about people with great vision, with exciting strategies, with well-designed plans, we admire them. Wow, how great, how wonderful they can, they can make a difference in the kingdom of God this way. But sometimes when we look at them, we also feel that we don't have much to offer in comparison. You might feel that your talent is too small and your contribution too insignificant. Now, if any of you feel this way, I have good news for you, actually, because all you have to be, all you have to do is be a servant. And be a servant is not hard, actually, right? Serving God is simple. God is in charge. He has all the plans. He has all the resources. And all you have to do is follow his instruction. He tells you to do, you do it. It's not so hard. It's not required grand vision and huge amount of resources. And let me show you one example from the Bible and one example from our church. The first example uh, took place when Jesus fed the 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. I think all of you know the story very well. And this is the only miracle recorded in uh, all four of the Gospels. Uh, in, uh, in the Gospel of, uh, of John, it's recorded that Jesus told Philip to do something about it. And Philip responded that they don't have enough money to feed all these people. 
And I think sometimes all of us are this kind of servant. We are told to do something. We respond that we don't have what it takes. And we justify, we can give 10 reasons why it shouldn't, be, it shouldn't happen. And I know that uh, my wife often feels this way. When she asks me to do something, I come up with 10 reasons why she shouldn't be doing this. Not a servant at all. It makes her very frustrated. So when Jesus asks, we also do the same thing. Right? 10 reasons. We shouldn't be done. Lord, you don't understand. But Andrew, in this story, did not respond that way. Andrew kept on searching how we can feed the people. Right? And then Andrew came to the Lord in John chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brothers, said to him, he said to Jesus, uh, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? What good is it? It's obvious that this amount is not, not enough for 5,000 people. And Andrew could have written it off quickly and looked for other ways. But instead, Andrew brought it to Jesus' attention. Lord, there's something here. He let Jesus decide what to do with the little amount. And unlike Philip, Andrew didn't uh, lecture Jesus and say there's not enough uh, money for, to get enough food. And Andrew didn't complain that, that the task was too, too hard, it's impossible. And uh, he, he was probably not thinking that if Jesus wanted to feed so many people, he should have gathered people next to a town rather than uh, in, uh, in the wilderness. And uh, and then he didn't uh, complain that uh, shouldn't people bring food when they come to something like this? Shouldn't they be responsible rather than uh, make us responsible? And uh, he didn't complain that uh, why suddenly this responsibility fall upon us? Should we set a precedent in feeding people every time we gather? If we do this, what will happen in all the future gathering? Are we expected to do, to do that as well? Okay, that's a very Singaporean thinking, right? We don't want to set a bad precedent so that we have to do it every time from that day onwards. So people as servants, let us remember to see things through the eyes of faith. As servants, let us see the possibilities of inadequate things and trust in Jesus to make something out of it. As servants, let's resist the temptation to trust our own evaluation of the situation and write them off too quickly and remember that God's ways are higher than our ways. Now, what about the boy? This boy has the five loaves and two, two fish. The logical reason would seem like uh, what he has is simply not enough, right? It might be enough for him and his parents. If he had kept the food, at least one family would not go hungry that day. If he were to share this food, everyone would be hungry. Nobody would be, would be satisfied. But this boy let the little bit of what he had to be used by Jesus. As servants, we should remember that we should never underestimate what you have to offer to Jesus. He will multiply your five loaves and two fish to do amazing things. 
give however little that you have and trust the Lord for the rest. That is the posture of a servant. And ultimately, Jesus is after your heart rather than your stuff. Whatever stuff we have is never enough, but he wants our heart. This simple faith, this simple faith of the disciples and the simple sacrifice of a boy became part of a miracle recorded in all four Gospels. So at the end, they actually collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. On that day, everyone had more than enough to eat, including this boy and his family. Instead of enduring hunger, everyone was flourishing that evening with satisfaction. So this story is one of the stories that encouraged uh, Joyce and I when God uh, called us to begin the journey of fostering eight years ago. We had many concerns before we started. Uh, and the, uh, the, the girl we were supposed to uh, foster, we give her the nickname of Dora, had many medical issues. He had tube feeding and uh, he had seizures and all of that. Uh, we also have forgotten how to care for little babies, changing diapers, feeding milk, and all of that. Uh, it's been too long. And uh, was I too old for this? Uh, will, we, will, we, will this thing uh, distract us from our ministries? There are so many questions. But in the end, we decided to offer our five loaves and two fish and trust God for the rest. So by God's grace, this morning, we have three girls worshiping God in this church. So people, just offer the little bit that you have to the Lord, whatever it is, and trust, and trust in Him to make something out of it. The next story I want to share is from uh, our church, one of our church members. And many of you know uh, Derek, or Uncle Derek. Uh, Derek and, and Julia were... Uh, uh, our premarital counselors uh, many years ago. They were a great blessing for us, and they have been serving in this church for many, many years. Okay? Uh, Derek and Julia live in a condo. Uh, in the initial years of, in this condo, uh, this whole place lacked shalom because the council members were more interested uh, in fighting for power Okay, reminds us of the, what the disciples were doing, right? They were interested in flying to be the greatest. But several years ago, God gave uh, Derek a vision to be a servant in, this, uh, in his condo. And the word that uh, God gave to Derek is community spirit. Community spirit. So Derek started to, to, to look and think how he can uh, turn that into, uh, into reality. And then he saw a piece of land in the condo. This is uh, what it looked like uh, before he did anything. Basically, it's uh, you know, kind of a wasted piece of place, and uh, nobody went, actually went there. And there he saw the possibility of turning that into a garden where people can come together as a community. So this is what it looks like now, you see, the garden. And then, if we take a closer look at this garden, the fruits that it's producing, 
right? And they give away to the people, okay? They bless the residents. You just, you know, whatever they see, just give them and bless them. And um, so you can see uh, people come together, okay? Family, bring the children, and then they visit, and they, uh, they, have, they have fun with it. They fellowship with one another, right? And, uh, you know, in condo, usually you stay in your own place. You don't really know much pe- many people, and, uh, but uh, community spirit is being fostered in this place. God used Derek as a servant in this condo and turned a piece of barren land into a flourishing garden. And uh, Derek is uniquely placed in this particular condo as his servant. None of, us, none of us can do that because we don't live in that condo, right? But God has uniquely placed each one of us as his servants elsewhere. And there is no limit in how much we can flourish the community and this world if every member of this, of this church is willing to be a servant of the Lord. There is always someone somewhere in need of your service. Always someone somewhere. Okay, so finally, the power to serve. What I just said, there's always someone somewhere that needs your service actually can sound quite scary, right? How are we to meet this endless need? How do we find the power to serve for the long haul? Maybe I can do it for a season, but for the rest of my life, can I really last that long? Well, it depends on which master that you are serving, okay? And uh, do you know that you are a servant whether you like it or not? Every one of us is a servant. While very few people aspire to be a servant, everyone is a servant. The only question is, which master are you serving? Okay? Which master are you serving? You are all, we are all servants of something. So um, we are all servants of, 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 of one master or another, uh, whether you are Christian or not. Okay? Uh, your master is the one that controls your motivation, can, shapes all your decisions. And in this, in, in this sense, even free thinkers are not really free because you are also controlled by a master, some master in your life. Okay? So uh, let me give you some examples. Some of the men here would say that uh, your wife is your master or your boss. Okay, and uh, your goal is to serve your wife to make her happy, right? I think that's a good thing to do. Uh, if, um, if her happiness is really, really your goal, then you will be willing to give up your own happiness. You will give, be willing to give up the things that you like for her happiness, right? But oftentimes, we don't quite work that way. Okay, so here, sorry, man, I'm exposing a little bit of our trade secret as, as husbands. And sometimes we, uh, we want to make our wives happy because we want to get something from them, okay? And my wife actually gets very, very suspicious when I treat her extra nice. She looks at me, what do you want from me now? And I say, nothing. I just want to be nice to you. She still doesn't believe. But maybe we are nice to our wife because we want a visa 
so that they will give, give us permission to go and do something, right? Have a night out with our friends, have a long cycling outing, and leave her alone with the kids, this kind of stuff, right? And maybe we're extra nice to her uh, because we are thinking about a romantic evening without the kids, and then she won't have a headache. So people, this is the motivation of making our wife happy. This motivation is very weak, okay? We are actually serving ourselves. We're not serving our wife. We're not serving the Lord. And uh, when it comes to serving the community, uh, if your goal is to be recognized as being an outstanding citizen, uh, then your master is recognition. Your master is recognition. You will work and work and work to get the awards and the accolades. Uh, but people, this is an endless track. Because once you get an award, you are aiming for the next award. And then you get the next award, you want some, a bigger award. You get a bigger award, you want to move on to something else and get more recognition. You want to get up and up and up and bigger and bigger and bigger. And sometimes, eventually, there's nothing bigger. Or maybe when somebody else gets the recognition instead of you, or maybe someone better than you comes along, you will lose the motivation to serve because that motivation is weak if you are serving the wrong master. So you are either serving Jesus, if you're a Christian, or you're serving something else, even for a Christian. Whatever you serve controls your motivation. Any master that is not Jesus will always overpromise and underdeliver. He will suck the life out of you. There is no lasting motivation to serve, neither is there lasting satisfaction to sustain you. However, people, if your motivation to serve is rooted in a master who serves you, even to the point of his death, then everything changes. This is what we see in uh, verse 45. This is what Jesus says. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. <clears throat> Jesus is the only master who serves rather than expect, expect you to serve him. Okay, He came not to be served, to serve you. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, who is above all earthly kings, presidents, prime ministers, and rulers, governors, he alone deserved the highest honor, but he came not to be served, but to serve. The creator of the heaven and earth, who is, who is worthy of all praises and worship, he came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus is our servant king who serves us not only by washing the feet of dirty disciples' feet who will abandon him, who will, uh, who will uh, turn their back around uh, against him. He serves by giving his life as a ransom for many in order to set them free, in order to set you and I free. People, all other masters are insatiable in their demands. If you serve the master of money, you will never have enough money. If you serve the master of health, you will always find that you're not healthy enough. If you serve the master of power, you will always feel like you're not powerful enough. You want to quest for more and more power. Whatever earthly master you serve will never be satisfied. But in Jesus, 
He has paid all your demands in the form of a ransom. You don't need to slave away to satisfy Him. You serve Him as you worship Him. So people, Jesus is the only master who is life-giving. He is the bread of life and the source of living water. This is a pattern of life for Jesus and the pattern of life for his followers. As his servants, suddenly we can live a life not to be served, but to serve. So if you are not happy with your life, if you find that your Christian walk to be dry, you lack meaning and purpose, maybe you are still expecting to be served. The more you put yourself on a pedestal, the more miserable you will become. Instead, people, go and be a servant of the Lord and experience flourishing in your life. So in closing, if we truly believe that we are served by a servant king, there is no need to elevate ourselves to be served like someone special. You are already special in the eyes of God. And there is no need to compete to be the greatest because you are great in God's eye. And there is no need to derive satisfaction by putting other people down and looking for people to serve you so that you, can, you, you, feel, you feel like a big deal because you are already a big deal in God's kingdom. Instead, people, we serve others above and we serve others, especially to those who are below us, even if it costs us, even if it kills us, figuratively or literally. The, the power of the gospel will sustain every Christian as we empty ourselves for the flourishing of others. Every member church and flourishing are not fancy slogans but the embodiment of a Christian life. This is what Christians do. We live for the others. We don't live for ourselves. We, are, we live to be servants. We don't live to be served. So may God use us to make better nations, better cities, better communities, better church, better families. And may God use every one of us for his glory. And may God make every one of us a humble servant of the servant king. Let's bow our head and pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.